Well, church family, I'm really um, eager to bring you this message from the Lord. We've heard some just fantastic messages over the last five weeks about faith as trust in what? Oh, you're under, you're being tested right now. Trust in, yes, Tony. Whew. Trust in action. Trust in action um, in the form of obedience, in the form of righteousness or righteous living, in the form even of suffering when needs be. And we heard last week in the form of passing on the promises of God, the call of God from one generation to another. And this morning, I think God is going to take those five messages and and kind of wrap them together for us um, or put the pieces together as he speaks to us about particular steps of faith that he may be calling us as a church family to take. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, where I will read from verses 3 to 11 and then 18 to 20. And I'm going to focus on 18 to 20. There's a lot packed in there, but context is very important. So we'll start at verse 3. Actually, um, I'm going to focus on the whole letter. I'm going to um, just bring in a number of the things that Paul says to Timothy in the whole letter, but it all sort of uh, focuses on what he's saying to him in 18 to 20. So let's start at verse 3. Paul writes to Timothy, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine or teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. And then down to verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, 
you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. The word of God. Yes, thanks be to God. I have had, over the last couple of years, a repeated experience, a pattern sort of develop, where I'm out in nature. Uh, we've taken a couple trips to the Smoky Mountains in the falls to go hiking as a family, and then we've had occasion to go and to be in Florida uh, in the winter. And I've noticed that when I'm out on a hike and I'm in sort of a glorious part of nature, maybe it's uh, overlooking a valley and the sun is shining and you can smell the pine needles on the floor and that the warm breeze is blowing on you, oh, my soul just comes alive at the goodness of God and the beauty of his creation. And I think to myself, I need more of this. I need to remember this. I need to experience more of this. And then I go back to my life, which has me indoors a lot of the time and sitting a lot of the time. And slowly on slowly, I just forget the beauty of that moment until the next one happens and I'm on a beach and that wind is blowing and the sand is crisp underneath your feet and you can smell the water and it's just breathtaking and maybe the sun's rising or maybe it's setting and I have that moment again. And I think the same thoughts again. And then I go back to life and it kind of fades again. Anybody else have this experience? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. I think as I reflect on it that our encounters with God sometimes feel or function the same way. There are these moments in our faith where he meets us. It could be in corporate worship where we're overcome by his presence in a certain way, or it's one of those moments where the preacher's preaching right to me and God's speaking, or it could be in the context of personal prayer and scripture reading where a scripture just leaps off the page and the heart is burning and you know God's saying that to you right now. He's talking to you. Or it could be in prayer ministry. Many different contexts, but we have these encounters with God or these moments where he he confirms something or sometimes he calls us a certain direction, even speaks about what he wants to do through us, puts something in our heart and They can be profound moments of encounter, sometimes trepidation and excitement mixed together. And then we move out of the moment and we go to step into life and even to obey God. And there's this dissipating of the moment and sort of entering into the the, the rest of the reality of trying to live out of it. That's difficult. And I think that's a, I think that's what a really good description of what Timothy's experiencing and what Paul's trying to coach Timothy about in this letter. Because if you skip ahead to chapter four, verse fourteen, you'll read Paul saying to Timothy, "Timothy, don't neglect the gift of God that was given you through a prophetic message." 
by the body of elders with the laying on of hands. So picture it with me, if you will. They're gathered. The leaders of this young church in Ephesus are gathered. They're worshiping the Lord. They often talk, Paul, Paul talks about how they would pray and fast and worship. Chapter 13 in Acts, it's in that context. The Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas. So there's a call given for the work I've called them to. So here they are in Ephesus. They're praying, they're worshiping together. And somebody gets a word, a message from the Lord. I'm calling Timothy. I'm calling him into leadership, calling him to the role of evangelist. Timothy's a young man. This is kind of overwhelming, but it gets confirmed. Other people, they test it and other people go, yeah, the Lord is saying this. I really sense the Holy Spirit has got a call on Timothy's life. I bear witness. And so they they gather around him and they lay hands on him. And it's a it's a holy moment where this young man goes, God, really, you really want to use me for this? Okay, Lord, if it's you and the Lord comes on him. And he, he can sense the presence of the Lord and, and they lay hands and they commission him and then he steps into the work. And then Paul leaves. And the work. Oh, that work. It's hard. Listen to this. If you, this is just from one Timothy. This is just some of the things Paul tells Timothy to deal with. He's got people teaching false doctrines in the church that he's got to, that he's got to, he's got to work against. That's deception at work in the church. He's got people who want to teach that aren't equipped to teach. So he's dealing with pride in the church. He's got people devoting themselves to myths and genealogies. He's got distraction in the church. He's got people who have abandoned the faith altogether. So they've come to faith. They profess Jesus. Now they're leaving. Some of them are young women who got put on the, the um, widow's list too early. And then he says they get idle and they just wander away from the, the, the faith and they pierce themselves with griefs. He's got people. Chapter four, verse one says people are following demons who are at work through human beings whom Paul describes as Hypocritical liars with seared consciences. So he's got deception with poor discernment producing division. I already mentioned the young widows who are growing idle and turning away. So that's distraction and more apostasy. Then Paul talks about tension between slaves and masters who've come to faith in Christ. More division. Lack of love. He's got rich people who've got arrogant attitudes and and, um, need to be taught, don't put your hope in your wealth. It's transitory. Your hope is in Christ. And he says that some of those have wandered away from the faith. Some converts to Christ have become eager for money, have wandered from the faith, again, pierced themselves with many griefs. So more greed, more apostasy. You want to go serve this church? (laughs) Now, on top of all this, he's got stomach troubles and he's got frequent illnesses. 
So you might say he's got a weaker constitution. It's just what he's living with. He's got people looking down on him because he's young. Paul has to tell him, don't let people look down on you because you're young. So he's experiencing a measure of disrespect and dishonor as he tries to serve the Lord and speak his purposes. And then he's got a timid personality. So here's a young man with a weak constitution who's not a bull in a china shop. He's not your sort of strong leader who's, who sees something wrong and has got that you know, prophetic bent that I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it out. Timothy's not that kind of person. He's timid. He's shy. And Paul has to say to him in his next letter, we've not been given a spirit of timidity but one of power and love and sound mind. So put all this together. You've got a church full of problems, and you've got a a weak, young man, timid, facing those problems. And what does Paul say to him in in that context? He says, have a glass of wine, Timothy. (laughs) No, I'm I'm just joking. If you know the letter, you know he does actually say have a glass of wine, but it's for his stomach. It's not for his soul. (laughs) He's not telling him to medicate itself. What he doesn't say is really noticing to me. If I was Timothy, what I would have really liked Paul to say is, oh, Dave, you've got a really tough situation on your hands. This is hard. Um, You know, my thoughts are with you. That empathy and the compassion, I'm sure it's there, but he doesn't say that. This is what he says to him. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. Now, stop right there. What command is it? Because the letter is full of commands. He's got a lot of them. I think the command is the very first one. Stay there in Ephesus. And then and command certain people and do this and do that and do this. All the other commands are subordinate to stay at your post, Timothy. Stay where God has called you. Stay with it. Don't give up, Timothy. But that's not it. He says, I'm giving you this command. And then he says, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that and if If you listened when I read it, your Bible probably says so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. But in the original language, there is no word for there's no word recalling. It literally says in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by them you may fight the good fight or fight, uh, uh, fight the battle. Well, it can be translated both ways, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. And so shipwreck their faith. Fight the good fight by these prophecies. What does that mean? How do you fight a battle? How do you stay with God's calling for you by the prophecies once made about you? I think it works like this. God gives this call to Timothy. He says, we don't know exactly what to call it. So I'm surmising based on what we see. We know he's called to be an evangelist because in uh, book two, Uh, Paul says, discharge the duties of your ministry, do the work of an evangelist. But we also know he's called to be a leader in the church because Paul's telling him to lead. 
So he's called to Ephesus to lead and to evangelize. So God gives this call. Timothy steps into the call and he starts to do the work. He starts to share the gospel. He starts to step into situations. He starts to tell people you can't teach that. That's not how we use the law. This isn't right. And he's stepping into various situations and inevitably he faces immediate pushback. Who are you to tell me what to do? How do you know the law? You're just young. Well, that's not what I heard from so-and-so. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Who put you in charge? And immediately there is this resistance, not just to Timothy, but to the word God spoke. Because God said to him, I'm going to make you a leader and presumably... I've got plans to strengthen this group of people, to raise up this portion of my bride, to make them fruitful in the kingdom. I've got plans for you, Timothy, that don't include you just suffering at the hands of the people you're serving. I've got kingdom plans because God's always got plans to bear fruit for his people. And so Timothy steps in to the initial obedience to the word God gave him. You're called to this resistance. And when you meet that kind of resistance, oh, some of it hits you personally. Some of it hits your heart and your mind and you start to get a blanket of discouragement can wrap itself around you. There can be a physical heaviness that starts to sit on you. And you start to wonder, is this word really true? Is this word really from the Lord? Did God really say? Now, you don't set out to doubt the Lord. But circumstances, hardship, pushback, resistance, they function to come against the word that God has spoken. So much so that you get to the point where you want to give up. You want to quit your post. You want to step back. The battle is so wearying. Imagine, I, I, I have empathy for Timothy, and I imagine anybody in his shoes would want to say, you know what, it was, life was way easier before I stepped into this position. I didn't ask for this conflict I mean, every person I know who gets into ministry says, I'm in ministry because I love the Lord and I love people and I want to see people know the Lord and grow up in his love. I didn't sign up for conflict. Nobody did. And the conflict wearies. Whether I'm not talking just about full-time ministry, ordained ministry, I'm talking about using your gifts, everybody. Okay. And so Timothy has got to be reaching this point where it's like, God, this is so hard. Are you really, do I really have to? And Paul says to Timothy, this is a battle. You are in a battle. You are being resisted. Satan is resisting you. It is for real. He does not want the kingdom of God to advance. He does not want God's purposes to go forward in Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was the place where greatest revival was had. Everyone heard the word of God in Ephesus. Paul taught there for two and a half years. Such great miracles were done that even handkerchiefs taken from Paul to people brought, brought healing. Massive move of God. 
And the devil always resists. And so now you've got all these young converts that are new to the faith. All of them that need to grow up. And, and uh, Acts also tells us, shows us they needed to grow up because remember that the seven sons of Sceva that tried to uh, deliver a guy in the name of Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus and they got beat up? That's Ephesus. What happened after that? The fear of the Lord fell on the church. And the church went and took their scrolls from sorcery and they went and burned millions of dollars worth of scrolls. And then the fear of the God fell on the whole land. See, so you've got a church that's mixed up with the culture still. And Timothy's called to raise that church to maturity. And the devil's resisting it. And Paul's saying, yup, it's a battle. And the way you fight that battle, Timothy, is by recalling what God said. The prophecies that he spoke. He said, he's calling you. To be an evangelist. He's calling you to lead. And you don't just recall them in this sense. Oh yeah, I remember God said that. I remember he did. Yep. You recall them in such a way as to join your faith to them. The way that you fight a battle through a word that God's spoken or given is by saying, God, you said you will do this. I cannot do it. I cannot make it happen. But I believe you will do it. And I will not quit. In accordance with what you said, God, I offer myself to you. To serve you, I am your servant, and I, believing you will do this, will continue to serve you. So what I want us to see here is a a fundamental thing is that prophecy is not prediction of the future. Primarily, prophecy, prophetic words from God, are used to shape the future. So God shares his heart with us. In this case, my heart, Timothy, for you is these callings, these gifts expressed this way in this body to build this group up and bear this fruit. That's my heart. But in order for God's heart to come to pass, Timothy, the human instrument, needs to keep giving himself to God in faith. So here here we go. Faith is trust in action. Leading to obedience, righteousness, sometimes suffering, even in ministry. And so Timothy, that human instrument, has got to say to the Lord, Lord, I believe you spoke. I believe you made your will, your purpose clear. And I'm going to keep offering myself to you. And as I offer myself to you in the acts of leadership, faithful discipleship conversations, faithful church discipline, faithful intercessory prayer for this congregation, faithful going after the lost, as I offer myself to you, you, Lord, use my human obedience to bring about the thing that you prophesied. But it's not a guarantee. It's not a given. 
It's not guaranteed that it's going to happen. How do we know that? Because Paul says to Timothy, recalling the words of prophecy that were spoken about you, by recalling them, you can fight the battle well so that you hold on to faith and a good conscience. In other words, I continue to believe God said this and I have a good conscience because I'm acting in accord with it, which some, he says, have rejected. What did they reject? They rejected the word of the Lord for them or for Timothy. And what happened to them? Their faith was shipwrecked. There's something interesting that we've got to notice here. Paul uses the word faith twice in the same sentence, but in different ways. The first way is, the second way is about the faith, as in the Christian faith. And he's saying they've shipwrecked their faith. But they didn't, they shipwrecked their faith. The beginning of that came when they stopped having faith in what God said. So the Holy Spirit's working in their context to do something. He gives a calling and it doesn't immediately come to pass and they stop believing it. And because they stop believing it, they don't they 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 start to lose a sensitivity and a tenderness toward God. Their conscience is seared as it were. And they start to distance themselves to the point where they end up shipwrecking themselves their own faith. They, they end up separating themselves from the Lord. You see how this works? Okay. And uh, Paul says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. What's blaspheming? Speaking against the Holy Spirit. Okay. So this is, this is at once um, beautiful, how God gifts, uses the, the gift of prophecy to strengthen and encourage and comfort and help us move forward in service to him that's very genuinely difficult. And it's also sobering because if we don't hold on to the words that God has given, there's this process where we can actually detach ourselves from the Lord. Now, you can always repent and come back. I think that's what Paul's hoping for when he hands them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. It's not they're handed over forever. It's they're handed over to be disciplined so they can learn. Okay? But the point is, there's a need to remember and stir up and walk in faith according to what God has said. Now, um, some of you who are listening to me right now are going, um, I, this is hitting home because I've had words spoken to me and the Lord's connecting for you right away. And you, you know how, personally how to apply this. Others of you, um, maybe it's not landing in a personal way. Um, I think the Lord's given far more, I'll call them prophetic words, than you all may think. I'll just give you an example. Um, I don't want to concentrate on the individual today, but I'll give an example. Somebody's praying for their lost child or grandchild, and they're crying out to the Lord or friend or family member, and they're reading scripture, and the Lord like lifts up a scripture and gives it to you. 
in that moment. It connects. And you feel the comfort of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. Well, what's he doing? He's speaking to you about the one you're praying for and making a promise so that you will persevere in prayer and sharing when you have the opportunity because he wants to comfort and strengthen your heart, but he also wants to keep working through your prayers. Okay? That's a word of prophecy. It's a, a word from the Lord, speaking through his word. And the Lord does that a lot when we come before him uh, with open hearts, listening for how he speaks through his word. Okay, so individually, uh, I trust the Lord will help, it, help to apply it. But I think I want to make one brief, I don't want to make it. I think the Lord wants to make a corporate application for us. God has given us words of prophecy as a congregation that we did not seek, that we did not initiate, we did not go looking for. And I've referenced them briefly in the past, a year ago in a sermon, and a little bit before that. But I'm going to briefly recap them now because I sense the Lord is saying it's time for you as a community to cherish these words and wage a battle by them. Okay? And so what were the words eight and a half years ago in the first half of 2014? Four words came to us in four and a half months. First, a reformed pastor living in another state contacted us and said, I woke up this morning having a vision of Gold Avenue Church in which I saw a river flooding and filling the church, flowing out the doors of the church into the city. And wherever the river went, it caught people up into it. And the people caught up into it were swept into the life of, that's in Jesus Christ and in the kingdom of God. Several months later, a young woman in a, from Texas in a mentoring session was in prayer at the end of that mentoring session. And as she was, they were not even at all praying for Gold Avenue Church. And just in the context of prayer, began to have a vision in which she saw a giant wave coming that crashed over us. And as it crashed over us, brought people of all different kinds into the kingdom of God. It was that she described it. She was overwhelmed with tears, with joy, saying, I just don't know how to describe this. It's so beautiful. God's drawing all kinds of people in to Jesus Christ, in to the kingdom of God through this move that's going to come through your church. Then twice in that same period of time, a regional group of intercessors who regularly met to pray for the church, but particularly reformed churches in the area, all of a sudden found the Holy Spirit directing their entire prayer times to praying for Gold Avenue Church. And in those prayer times found themselves praying for a mighty wave of revival in which God would, and then they repeated without knowing it, the themes of the first two visions that were shared. Even saying that the Lord would make it like Azusa Street in 1905. 
and that the Lord through it would bring revival to our classes, to the Christian Reformed Church, and even to the nations. I don't know if you know anything about Azusa Street in 1905, but it really is the birthplace of a move of God that currently could account for between five and 700 million believers worldwide. A place where the presence and the power of God descended in such holy beauty that black and white and Hispanic were on their faces before God at a time where they never came together. Where the presence of God was so palpable that people who would come within yards of the building would fall down in awe and trembling before the Lord would be instantaneously saved, immediately aware of their sinfulness, radically changed and transformed, sometimes without a word being spoken. Such a mighty river of God came out of that place. It led to worldwide revivals, and you can read church history in all over the world. Wales, 1906. China, early 1900s, South Korea, Manchuria, Australia, New Zealand, R.A. Torrey, old Reformed theologian, traveled the world, led hundreds of thousands to Christ as part of this revival. So what do you do when, well, let me stop for a quick second. When that happened in 2014, we had never had anything like this happen before. None of us, I didn't have any experience with receiving words like this but we had just been learning about testing them. And so we spent a half day together as elders uh, at Pastor Gina's home, testing them, praying and saying, Lord, is this you? And we sensed, yes, it is the Lord saying it. And I think when we said that, none of us thought eight and a half years later, we'd be sitting in the same sanctuary with 80 people or so. You don't know when God gives a promise When it's going to come to pass. When God told Noah, build an ark. It's going to rain. He didn't tell him when the rain was going to come. When God told Abram, I'm going to make you great and give you the nations. He didn't know he's going to have to wait 25 years for a son. And it takes incredible grace to stay with the word of the Lord when he gives it. Until you see it through. But what's so important about that is that it's not the kind of, you, you don't just need grace to sort of sit by as bystanders going, well, if God does that, it's going to be pretty cool. And I'll just kind of really look forward to the day when that happens. Because, boy, it's going, to, it's going to be neat to watch that like revival. I've never seen that. I mean, I've seen people come one to the Lord and two and maybe three or four. Maybe I've seen somewhere ten come to the Lord. but But like, streams of them coming to the Lord, like hundreds and eventually thousands. Like, I've never seen that. Has anybody seen that? Wow, that would be amazing to see. We can't just say to ourselves, that will be amazing to see if God does that. Rather, like Timothy, we need to say to the Lord, Lord, This is your word, and I give myself to serve in accordance with your word.
I give myself to what you want to do. And part of what I think the Lord wants to do this morning is he wants to invite each of us as individuals who are sitting here and those who are listening online later or now to receive this word for us. I feel like it's really important. See, you can't step in and serve according to the word until you first receive it. Mary had to receive the word from the angel. May it be done to me according to to what you have said. You cannot say to the Lord, we cannot say to the Lord altogether, may it be done to us according to what you've said until we first individually receive this word and say, Lord, I believe you. This thing that you have said that you desire to do, it's impossible for me to conceive. It's like a virgin giving birth. It's like an ark in the middle of the desert. It's like a hundred-year-old couple having a baby. I can't conceive it. But I give myself to it. And part of the reason I think it's important for every single one of us to give ourselves to the Lord is because he has calling and purpose for each one of us as a part of it that many of us don't yet realize what our part is. And just like the Lord had calling for Timothy as a young man, he has calling for young ones among us. And he's saying, come, come follow me. Come love me. Come serve me. Come give yourself to me. All of yourself. Come lay your life down. Come, believe me. He's got calling for some of the young ones in here that are too, un- too little to understand yet what he's about to do. But we have to, there's a sense in which as a body, we've got to receive this promise from the Lord and we have to actually um, actively recall it and speak it to one another with faith because that will shape the way that we then respond to it. And there, there are, there's more to be said. I'm, I'm, I'll promise you I'm going to wrap up soon. Um, okay. There's more to be said about how we respond. I don't want to talk about that today. That's a future day. You know, Timothy had to had practicalities. I'm talking I'm not talking about the the everyday ongoing work of loving our neighbors as we are doing. Of working for God's justice and his shalom of praying. I think there's more the Lord has for us without putting any pressure on us. There are just ways that he'd have us offer ourselves to him in accordance with the word he's given. We can talk about that later. I think today it's it's on us to say together, Lord, we as a church, we will be marked by this. We will allow this word that you've spoken to define us that to be a part of this body, this particular group of people who love you and love each other and are bound together in fellowship with one another is to say we are marked 
to see your kingdom come. We're marked for revival. We will contend. We will not stop. We'll grab the hem of your robe and say, Lord, bring revival. Bring people to saving faith. It doesn't matter that we haven't seen great numbers come before. We believe your word and we will contend with you. You're doing it in other parts of the earth. You're doing it in other places. Do it here, Lord. Do it among us. And we'll only give ourselves over like that. We'll only give things up to give ourselves over like that. When we first said yes, and we'll only say yes when we touch his heart or when his heart touches us. I have had through this process, and it still continues, to say, Lord, search me. I love comfort too much. I don't love the lost enough. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. And so I think this morning the Lord's saying, I want to give you my heart. My heart is life for the world. And I want to use you as a church. I am using you, but I want to use you immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And so give yourselves to me. And so I want to end with a couple of minutes of silence and just invite, before we go to sing, invite each of us to, to respond to the Lord. There'll be more response, but just now to say to him, Lord, I might not know fully what it means. I give myself to you and I believe you and may it be done to me and to us according to your word. Church family, last week we heard how David had received this word from the Lord, this God's heart to be with his people. And yet the Lord wanted to do the work through Solomon. And David gave everything. And he called everyone else to give and to receive that message that the Lord wanted to be with them. And um, they were invited to respond. And you've heard that this church has received words that God's heart is he wants to come. He wants in his manifest presence to bring revival here that would impact the world. Somehow the Lord would do this. And there have been, eight years ago, a group of leaders in this church. Some of us are getting older. <laughs> and I feel like um, today is a day that Pastor Dave is bringing a message to just invite all of us to say, would we receive this word? Would we say yes? We don't understand how it will look. But we say, yes, we receive this as God's heart, that he wants to meet us and do something through this church that would bless this city, the denomination, and far beyond. And so if you're hearing that message and you're saying, yes, I believe that, and I'll give myself to this work as the Lord shows me how, I, I'm going to invite you to just stand up. As a, a response of, I believe this is a word for Gold Avenue Church, and I take it to heart. God's spoken it to my heart today. Or again, afresh. So um, this is between you and the Lord, but as a sign of that, I'm just going to invite you to 
to stand to your feet if you're able. Lord, you see us, you see our posture, a prophetic act of standing up and saying we're paying attention. We receive this word from you that you want to do something, that you want to come and manifest yourself in and through this congregation to bring the gospel and the transforming love of your kingdom to this nation and to the world. We give ourselves to you. And we now pray, Lord, for your grace to be poured out to help us to keep giving ourselves. Just as Timothy had to walk in daily obedience that wasn't always very exciting. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us for the joy set before us. That even as Timothy probably held in his heart the the promise of what was to come as he served you, we hold, help us to hold in our hearts, Lord, this vision of your kingdom coming, a river of life, sweeping all walks of people into it, transforming them, saving, healing, delivering, bringing glory to your name on the earth. Help us, Lord, to hold that in our hearts and to speak it to one another. And Lord, we just want to tell you we take great comfort from knowing that you look on us in all our human frailty. And you crown that. You smile on us and you crown it with your glory. You choose to put your glory in vessels of clay. And so we welcome your glory and we say, Come, come, Holy Spirit. Build the church of Jesus Christ and extend the kingdom of God in and through this part of your body here at Gold Avenue Church. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.